Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are here for another week of inspiration, fun, and little learning too, why not? It's as if we're out for a cup of coffee. So this week, I have my guest, Madison, here from Levine Hearing. Am I correct? Okay, I just want to make sure I am correct. So Madison, welcome to the show. And tell everyone a little bit about you and your background. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I own an audiology clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I didn't know this was always what I was going to do, but I did actually follow in my mom's footsteps. So she had a hearing aid clinic when I was growing up. And this is actually my second career. So I went a different direction first and had one of those early twenties career crises. And my husband's the one who pushed me to go look at it. And I did it, started my practice pretty young and we're six years in thriving. That's amazing. What was your career beforehand? If I may ask. Oh gosh. Everybody looks at my degree on the wall and they make fun of me (laughs) because I was in the school of agriculture I studied food science. So all my peers end up, they ended up becoming food scientists. Do you use any of those skills in your private practice today? The science background helped, yes, but pretty much nothing else. What inspired you to go the hearing route versus the SLP route? So my background might surprise you a little bit there too. I've, I've talked to a lot of SLPs lately who have never heard of the term hearing instrument specialist. So that is what I am. I'm not an audiologist. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of SLPs are very familiar with audiologists because you guys take classes together and and consider which route you're going to take. For me, 
becoming a hearing instrument specialist is a totally different way to get to the result of where I am right now. So I actually apprenticed under a sponsor in my state. And so you learn hands-on from the moment you, you know, become a, a licensee, you are working with patients under supervision until you pass all of your state licensing exams. Wow. That's amazing. So you can do all the dispensing and all the everything. That's amazing. And what you said is right. Dispensing. So I am focused just on hearing. I don't do balance. I don't do anything related to cochlear implants, but I do actually employ audiologists on my team. And so we are moving more into some of those areas. It's just, I am focused on hearing. It's amazing. What has been your favorite moment in your career so far? Like the best, like success story or something like aha moment or I had a patient who got her first set of hearing aids at 100 years old. She got them for herself for her 100th birthday. Oh my goodness. And you know, I, I see patients of all ages, but I do see a lot of older patients. And so I hear all kinds of things from them. Sometimes people will say something like, I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know if it's worth it for me to spend this money on myself which, you know, we want to just hug them and just say, do it. <laughs> if you, don't, you don't know how much time you have left and spend it on yourself. Yes. You know, the, it doesn't come with you. Like <laughs> your kids don't care. They don't want to take it. They want you to hear them mm-hmm. for whatever time you have. And so this 100 year old got hearing age. She was so successful in them. She was so sweet. She lived to 102 and a half, even at a hundred, she had two and a half years of living vibrantly in being included, feeling like she was part of the conversation. That's so amazing. I love that. I love it. Do you have any advice for SLPs in this school where a lot of times we have a lot of students who are reluctant to wear their hearing aids? What advice would you give to SLPs working with these students? I think it's really, really important that they are encouraged to wear them. Taking breaks is fine, But ultimately, it's going to have so much of an impact on them cognitively as they develop, as they go through not just elementary and high school, but they move on into a career path. Using their hearing aids keeps their brain in practice hearing. And so I actually see a lot of patients who are 18, 19, 20, who gave up on wearing hearing aids when they were in elementary or high school. They probably put up a big fight. I'm sure that everyone around them told them to wear them, but they, for whatever reason, went without them. And here they are going into college or the workforce, and they're ready to go into it themselves and spend the money themselves. And it's a beautiful thing for them to be taking responsibility. And it also is really hard to see how much they struggled through those years. And they finally are realizing, man, I should have stuck with it. It's one of those things, you know, woulda, coulda, you can only tell a young kid so much until they really learn it themselves. Oh, that's such a great story that like we can tell our students like, hey, you don't want to be that 19 year old regretting anything. Mm-hmm. Can you go a little more into the basics of hearing aid use, like time and benefits? I would say the minimum use time in a day should be eight hours to really keep your brain in practice with the hearing aids. I see patients who they start out on a good foot. They wear them really consistently. And then they take a day off here or there. What becomes a problem is when those days start to add up. And now the brain has started to revert to a different normal. So then when they pick them back up and they say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wear them. 
they're doing it on their own, not with a lot of support. They're not seeing their audiologists or their hearing instrument specialists at the time. So they pick them up, they put them on and everything sounds tinny or annoying. There's too much background noise and they don't like them. And so they don't wear them the next day. They go back and forth in this yo-yo back and forth. Really, they need a little bit more support, whether it's from you guys, the SLPs who are seeing them probably more frequently than sometimes their audiologist is, but they need to know if they take too long a break, it's going to be hard to get back into it. They're going to have to commit and say, I'm going to wear them every day for a week. You can do that every day for a week. I'm going to wake up and put them on. You are going to get back in routine. You're going to be okay. You just have to commit to it. I love it. As you're saying this, I'm thinking of the students with ADHD medication. It's like the same thing. Like they take some time off and then they're like, mm, it's hard to go back or even dieting. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. that same like relationship. Like, like, like I could do it for one week. Like, like I could do it for one week. I could do it longer. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And if we can show our students that us too have a hard time with something new and, and showing them that they're not alone, yeah. it could help them feel empowered and willing to like, okay, someone gets me and understands why I might not want to wear it, but showing them the benefits. That's, that's so powerful that like the more you take time off, the harder it will be to go back. And you asked, you know, advice for SLPs too. My understanding is it depends on where you're trained and what type of work experience you get as to how comfortable you might actually be with hearing aids. Mm -hmm. So I know that varies across different types of SLPs, but it benefits all of them to learn some of the basics, how to put a hearing aid in correctly. So that when you see a kid that it isn't incorrectly, you can say, maybe they're not liking it because it's uncomfortable because it's not really in right. Maybe they're not hearing their best because it's not incorrectly. And then being able to just check functionality because a hearing aid very easily can get clogged with wax. Tube can shrink up from time and humidity. And if that aid is not functioning properly, it's not giving them the full benefit. And they probably are going to be complaining about it too. And even knowing how to change a battery, I've had to do that one. <laughs> You're so right. That's very like, that's my That's my troubleshooting is like, when in doubt, let's change the battery out and see if that works. <laughs> yes. No, you're totally, you're right about that. I mean, holding a hearing aid in your hand and closing it in your hand, you can hear if it whistles, that tells you something that tells you there's power, but it doesn't necessarily tell you if it's amplifying sound. One of the things that I do anytime somebody hands me a hearing aid and I need to check it out, I have a little listening tool. It's almost like a stethoscope Mm -hmm. where I put it in my ear and I listen to the end of the hearing aid and I can hear if my voice is actually coming out of it. And it's such a simple tool. And I wish that all of you guys had them to just be able to say, let me hear, let me just see if this is actually amplifying for you. That would be a really cool. Yes. If anyone listening that has a student on their caseload and no support, that's definitely something to check out. I know for me in the past, any students I've had, I always made sure I had the number of their private audiologist or Mm -hmm. the county audiology department where on their business card and not being embarrassed or afraid to call and ask questions. It doesn't mean it's not a sign of weakness for me to say, Hey, I need help. So well, we do not know enough about speech either. You know, I mean, there's so much that we should be learning from each other. So, so true. So, so true. What are some of the best practices in assessing and fitting hearing aids? So there's a wide range of protocols that might be followed. There's not really a set protocol that we all are using. 
although there should be. And so there's a movement right now to create that. What are the gold standards? Anytime someone's hearing is tested, they should absolutely have speech testing done too. And what I mean by that is them hearing words and then repeating them, just listening for beeps and pushing a button. It gives us such a narrow view of how they're hearing. We need to understand how they're actually functioning in the world. And obviously communication is the key. Yes. Yes. So, so true. What advice would you give for SLPs working in the school or anyone in working with students with a hearing aid in terms of background noise and setting up the environment for success? Use every tool. I would really push the kids to embrace those tools. I'm hoping that it's much more acceptable now that we're seeing so much tech around us all the time, whether it's our phones, our computers, whether it's somebody wearing Bluetooth devices in their ears. I mean, you walk around the grocery store now and you think somebody's talking to you and they're not, they're on the phone with something. You, can, <laughs> you know, you look, you go, oh, I see that thing in their ear. You know, wearing a hearing aid with Bluetooth now is really not that different than just a regular piece of tech. So using those FM systems, remote microphones, any of these little extras that they can to put up with the teacher or the speaker so that it can stream to their ears, it increases their understanding so, so much. Sometimes hearing aids alone are not enough. And you've got to go outside of that and look at what type of accessories can we add on and how can I encourage this kid to embrace it? Because everybody's got something that they're using. Mm -hmm. Yours just helps you hear better. What about teaching these students self-advocacy skills? That's so important. I guess it depends on the age of the child, right? As to how much they can say and, and feel confident. But I think giving them the words to use and letting them mirror them to you so that they can practice a little bit. I think we all get more confident when we practice. And sometimes just telling someone to advocate for themselves is not enough. You have to tell them how. If this happens, then you say this. If then statements, I think, are are a really good way to actually make it a tangible thing that they can use. Mm-hmm. Like if I've had students in the past say, like, no, I get more time on this test, or no, I'm supposed <laughs> to stand. It. Like, no, I'm supposed to sit in the front. I'm like, when I used to work in a high school, I had students write down in their planner their accommodations and modifications that they were entitled to. I'm like, nope. If if anyone doesn't grant you these, like. You say it. And if it doesn't work, you can let me know. Like, <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. They need to be aware, especially the older ones. Like they need to stand up for themselves and say, no, I, I need X, Y, and Z in order to function at my best. Yeah. I think, I think it's easy for kids and really anybody to say, well, I don't really need it. I can get by without it, but they may not realize that they really are on an uneven playing field and it's not fair. They should take those accommodations. They will be more successful because of it. So, so true. How about counseling? Like what kind of advice can you give to counseling the students and counseling parents, counseling everyone involved working with these? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about counseling today in relation to best practices. So, you know, a couple of the things that you'll hear on the forefront of audiologists' minds right now, real ear measurements, hearing aids must be fit with real ear measurements in order for them to be correct. And that is true. However, I personally don't think that everything hinges on that one test. It should be done, yes. But everything that follows that, the counseling, the coaching of that individual, for them to, number one, understand what's coming. Sometimes that's warnings. 
so that they're not shocked and surprised, scared, or have a negative reaction. Like today, I fit somebody with a new set of hearing aids and I told them, okay, when you walk out of here, it's going to be a whole new world. Running water is going to be the loudest sound you hear all day. And that's going to shock you. But when you flush a toilet or you turn on the sink, you're going to think the house is falling down. Promise it's going to get better. Give me five days. Wear them full-time for five days and you're not going to feel that way anymore. If you don't give people that type of coaching going into it, all they're going to know is something is wrong. They're going to turn on the water and they're going to think this is not right. It creates this panic and you've set off the course of their week from a totally negative place. If we want people to be successful, we need to just give them the keys to the castle. Just tell them truly what's going to be hard and what the outcome is going to be if they get through it. Because people are up for challenges. If you just tell them why it's worth it, they will get through it. Yes. Has anyone come back to you and said, like, you were right? Thank you for warning me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I this is not appropriate, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. I have had probably 10 men tell me, when I peed, it was like Niagara Falls. <laughs> I, mean, I hear that one all the time. <laughs> yes, they all come back. And what's awesome is when I see them at one or two weeks for their checkup, they're happy. They're laughing about the things that they heard. And they're, it's like we're in on a joke together. They're saying, oh my gosh, you were so right about this and that. Instead of coming in saying, oh my gosh, I heard all these sounds. and Yeah, it's a little better, but I don't know about all this. This has been hard. It changes the whole course of their experience. I love it. Now, you might not be able to answer this one because I know it might vary from state to state and area to area, but I know many SLPs listening work in Title I schools where funds can be difficult and access to hearing aids can be questionable. What advice or suggestions would you provide? Yeah, it definitely is going to be different by state. In North Carolina, we have a few resources that we send people to. We have School for the Deaf locally, very close to my office. And I know a lot of kids are able to get free or highly discounted hearing aids through that system. We have a state hearing aid program that is income-based. You have to fall pretty low below that income rate in order to get a hearing aid. And then a lot of states are also going to actually have mandated insurance coverage for pediatrics. So it depends on what state you're in, but many of them have a mandate for that. And where would someone look to find information on this if they are trying to research just other than just Googling the state and hearing and okay. I think, I think that's where I would start Awesome. just by, by Googling. And then, well, actually, for instance, we have the North Carolina department of health and human services. I'm not sure if that translates the exact same way to every state, Mm -hmm. but they are the ones that provide the state run hearing aid program for that income limit. And they hold a lot of those resources as well. And I know in the past, I've worked very closely with my school social worker, and she was able to help locate different foundations and charities nearby and any sort of resources that we were able to find. Similarly with like eyeglasses and stuff like that, that we typically work with. Thank you. Thank you. I know that many listeners are probably saying like, I don't want to recommend hearing aids for my student because they can't get. So I wanted to be able to cover that <laughs> basis. What yeah. are some ways that hearing and speech should collaborate for better outcomes? Well, I think what we're doing right here is a great starting point. I've noticed in the digital world, like Instagram, TikTok, I see a lot of SLPs very active. 
And I don't see quite as many people on the hearing side, but reaching out and sliding into those DMs to say, hey, I love what you're doing. I'd love to learn more and starting the conversation. I feel like we all are meeting so many cool people in the digital space to start with. Yeah, I I think that's where we should be putting some attention right now. Ella, that's how I found you. I was checking out your Instagram. I'm like, this is such great advice for working with hearing impaired students at I was like, we, I got to get you on the show <laughs> to talk to everyone because it's an area that is not my expertise. I've only had maybe less than five students on my caseload in my entire 14-year career that were hearing impaired. One cochlear implant, it was really few, really few. Yeah. And some of them were unaided, maybe just an FM system, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very few in my career that probably the audiologists that I collaborated with back then probably aren't even, they might be retired by now. I don't even know. So, <laughs> and, you know, and speaking to that, like, if you haven't seen many, let me just say something is better than nothing. So even having one aid, if two aids can't be afforded, buying a basic aid, if a premium can't be afforded, anything is better than nothing because you know, something that happens over time is something called auditory deprivation. So the longer an ear goes without sounds, even if it's just a mild or moderate loss, not even necessarily severe or profound, the longer it goes without that sound, the signal between the ear and the brain gets lazy. And so if someone waits years and years before getting a hearing aid, I can put one on them and all the paperwork, all the diagnostics show me that, I mean, I should be able to get them, I should just put it on there and and fix it. And it doesn't work that way. The sound comes through muddy. They hear it garbled. And that's one of the saddest things is when somebody's ready to do something and they kind of waited too long to get that clarity and the result that they want. It seems benign to put it off, but it really can have a big impact on them down the road. Such great advice to tell a parent, whether when you're in a IEP CSE meeting, when it's being discussed and making recommendations that you know, I know you might not want to deal with this right now. I know a lot of things are going on. However, the longer you wait, there's a bigger impact that your child might have. Yeah. Even one and even basic, you know, I mean, I'd always prefer to fit two ears if they both have hearing loss, but if we're just trying to get by, then at least save one year, at least don't let, you know, both go. Have you ever had a tap into the client's interests to help motivate them? hundred percent. There was a book I read and it, it talked about there being, if there's one problem, give them one solution. So rather than, you know, somebody comes in and you see they have hearing issues and, and you tell them all the ways this is going to benefit their life. They may not care about any of those reasons. So in the very beginning, as I'm making a new friend with them and I'm getting to know them, trying to figure out what's really important to them. And for one person, it might literally just be watching television and TV's not clear and it's really frustrating. Another person, it's hanging out with friends and always missing the punchline of the joke and feeling embarrassed. But whatever that thing is for that person, that is the thing that I'm going to talk about solving for them. And then all the other stuff I can introduce to them as we go along. Did you hear that, guys? Building rapport is the way to get to your challenging students. Start with their interests and build upon the harder stuff later. So no matter what the goal is, there's a common theme here on the show and in my speech world that it's let's start with the poor and and getting them to trust us. I love that. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have any last bit of advice for anyone who is not feeling confident when it comes to working with a student that is wearing a hearing aid or needing a hearing aid or? Yeah, don't be embarrassed. I mean, this is why it's so amazing that we can each go into these specialties and we can dive so deep and you know, you're so good at what you do and you don't have to be an expert at everything. All you need to do is look for the triggers of when you should be referring to another expert and using a little bit of spare time to get the basics, but don't be embarrassed to ask questions. I love it. Thank you so, so much. Madison, where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer? Yeah. So my Instagram holds most of it. It's Madison Listens. And you can also find me at LevineHearing.com. Thank you so, so much. Madison, I always end my episodes with a joke because humor is fun and entertaining and build rapport. So what is the hardest part about skydiving? I don't know. What is it? The ground. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm ching. (laughs) That's really dark. (laughs) It's really dark, but funny also. (laughs) So until next week, everyone listening, I hope you got that jolt of inspiration you need. And I hope you are thinking of that one student or maybe you had in your past or that, you know, might be coming up next year. Listen to this episode again. If you need that refresher, go check out Madison on Instagram. It'll give you that inspiration that you need so that you can be the best SLP for your students. So until next week, everyone stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, It would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.